0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 303 of the Fun With Cars Formula One and Other Motorsports Podcast or episode 37 of 2021. I'm Robin Warner and today I'm joined by the man who finally figured out his rain dance moves, Christopher Roche. Hey Chris.
1: Yeah, it all went wrong on Saturday but got better on Sunday.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's practice makes perfect as they say. It is Tuesday morning, September 28th. And Chris and I are going to talk about the Russian Grand Prix. And next week, we will focus on the IndyCar Championship. But I do want to take a moment to congratulate Alex Palau on his victory and a just really wonderful season. I'm looking forward to that conversation next week. But I am sure there is some Formula One news to discuss.
1: There sure is. we got the Miami Grand Prix confirmed for next year, the 6th, 7th, 8th of May. So uh, those of you who live in the southeast of the United States have a shorter trip to make to see F1 action, uh, so I did do a quick lap of the track. Still not convinced. It looks very Singapore-esque, actually. So a quick sh- lap
0: of the track via Google Maps, or did you fly down to Miami and rent a car uh- <laughs> and go to the parking lot?
1: They shared a video depicting an on-lap, uh, an on-board Formula One lap of the circuit. And so I watched that video,
0: and uh, and it was it was just absolutely thrilling. Uh, did you did they did they remove the parking lot paint and the the curbs, or did you have to weave around those a bit like a <laughs> like a slalom course?
1: There was a hot dog truck parked in the middle of the back straight, which did concern me. But uh, no, it's hard to tell. You're on a in a parking lot. Uh, whether or not that's the case next May, we shall find out. But uh, certainly the the video depicted a very realistic-looking track, just with lots of walls. So think Detroit, Singapore, those sort of circuits.
0: Right, yeah. And for so many things, for so many reasons, I think about Detroit and Singapore in the same sentence. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, okay, I am... I am going to remain sceptical about that race, but uh, cautiously optimistic that maybe I'm wrong. I would be wonderful to be wrong about this, but I'm still quite nervous about it.
1: Yeah, I'm still positive from the perspective that we have another race in the US um, and Miami's a pretty fun destination. So all that's positive. And I was reading uh, the other day that Roger Penske is still interested in bringing Formula 1 back to Indianapolis uh, because, of course, now he owns the indianapolis motor speedway so that's also good news we may actually have the eventuality of three races in the states before too long which would be great for fans of the sport uh, this side of the pond
0: well formula one is a u.s sport after all so uh, we have to thank our good close friends at liberty media for that and uh, you know get this american sport to america more often i'm i'm, I'm for that.
1: Absolutely. Uh, other news: uh, We have the confirmation, and I know everyone's been waiting with bated breath for this one. That Nikita Mazepin and Mick Schumacher are confirmed at Haas for twenty-two. Um, so, uh, Mick Schumacher will be driving,
0: and then Mazepin will be like the PR manager, or <laughs> the, is he going to is he going to handle is he going to handle like the catering service? What what will Mazepin's role be?
1: His role will be to um, generally be irritable, uh, confrontationable, (laughs) and to hit hit Mick's car as often as possible.
0: Yeah, okay. So he's he's driving again, huh?
1: He is. He's confirmed. It's not a big shock, Robin. Let's be honest, his dad pretty much owns the team now. So, um, yeah, I think... His
0: dad is Gene Haas? Why didn't his, anybody tell
1: me? Gene has, I think, has slowly realized that he's going to lose all his money if he continues to shovel it into the F1 team. So he's, he's slowly moving stage left. Um, and uh, Nikita's dad, whose name I forget and I'm not really interested in remembering, uh, is going to be the, the dominant force at that team going forward, I suspect.
0: Yeah, well, just lovely. Lovely on all accounts. <laughs> 20, 20 best drivers in the world. Uh, right here in Formula One, there's uh, <laughs> no doubts about it.
1: There's only one seat left, Robin. One seat for you to stake a claim to. That is the Alfa Romeo seat two, alongside Valtteri Bottas. And there's a few names in the hat. Do you want to hear them?
0: I would love to, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna add my name to it. I, I'm gonna, I have some people. I'm gonna get working on that. But please.
1: So the incumbent is uh, Antonio Giovinazzi, who actually has been showing some promise of late but it does appear to be too late um, and uh, he'll probably be moving on and uh, Cap- russia too it was a bit uh, russia was a bit soft if i'm honest yeah he didn't really uh, stand out did he um, and then callum Eyelott, who was in the frame appears to be heading this way stateside he's been running in indycar hasn't he for the last couple of rounds so he has been yeah yeah, so the the latest front runner is a guy called Zhao, who is a Chinese national. He is running second in Formula Two, and um, behind Piastri, he is an Alpine development driver. And apparently, it's his seat to lose.
0: Fascinating. Well, okay. I'm
1: Russia <laughs>
0: Russia Russia does border China. Why doesn't he take the half seat? Let's uh, get that going, and then we can um, put me in that Alfa Romeo. Ooh. Just just like, let's load up on this Americanism, right?
1: We need a fully international grid, mate. Fully international. Yeah. We need this.
0: I mean, number two, you know, second in the F2 championship, that's, that's legit cred, certainly. I mean, Lando Norris finished second in the F2 championship before coming to Formula One. So uh, I'm certainly not trying to discount him before he's even given a shot. But, uh, you know, I, I, at the same time, I will say, uh, as I age, I get more disgruntled about seeing Formula One get younger and younger. So (laughs) maybe that's what it is.
1: Yeah, you just have to let it go. So finally, on the news front, we have the fact that apparently Formula One engines um, aren't as reliable as we all thought they were. So to get through a season with three is proving to be somewhat challenging. So over the course of the weekend in Russia, we had no less than four drivers take penalties for switching out their power units that was charles leclerc in the ferrari you had a new hybrid uh, system um max verstappen um who uh, obviously is blaming lewis for having to take a fourth unit uh valtteri botas who's <laughs> blaming monza um apparently and nicholas latifi who's just blaming well nobody apart from himself so uh,
0: no, it was Mick shot. it was mick oh no that latifi sorry i got my wrong i got the billionaire sons mixed up Apologies.
1: <laughs> <laughs> easily done easily done <laughs> Yeah,
0: no, it's you know the whole three engines. You 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 keep removing engine allocations and adding Grand Prix. I mean, this it's just is just math here. I feel <laughs> right. I mean, am I wrong here? Where it's just let's put more miles on these engines and give you fewer engines to use to put more miles on the engine. You know, it just I I don't. It, it seems rather simple. Am I missing something?
1: Uh, well, I mean, ultimately, it's uh, it's a balance, isn't it? You can make the cars uh, or the power units reliable enough to, to do a whole season on one if you wanted to. But ultimately, you're going to lack uh, pace if you do so. So it's better to, to push them a little harder and take the penalty occasionally.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I have some IndyCar news that I would like to share. The IndyCar season is over, and the day after that uh, season ended, it was announced that Simon Paginode is leaving Team Penske and moving to Michael Shank Racing. So it's going to be two ex-Penske drivers in the Michael Shank Racing team. That is Elio Castroneves and Simon Paginode for uh, for that team. And I do believe that they are going to have the oldest average age of any IndyCar team because Paginode has been around for a few days and, uh, you know, Elio Keshaneviz, I believe, is 46 now.
1: Is Elio doing a full season at 22? Yes, he is. Awesome.
0: Yeah. And Elio is running up front early on, and uh, I, I won't say any more because I don't want to take away from our conversation next week. But uh, it's it's a team, and I've I've been privileged. I met Simon Pagano, and we had a nice conversation. Uh, he's, he's a very well-spoken, uh, kind, and uh, interesting person to speak with in addition to being a uh, you know very quick race car driver, so I think it's I think it's great news. I'm glad he's still in the sport, and um, I'm happy for Michael Shank Racing to have two um, you know well established pro. I mean, <laughs> extremely well established pros uh, it, for his Indy Car team. So that that's positive.
1: Yeah, that sounds like an exciting lineup.
0: We got a comment. We got a comment on the podcast, and it was from a close friend of mine, Chris Hosford. And he wrote to say, totally agree on the stupid F one sprint races. Ridiculous waste of time. And he said, Oh, by the way, enjoyed the podcast. So we got we got a comment uh, via email and we got a compliment in that comment. So how about that?
1: Yep. RIP Sprint Races is is a new campaign. We should get going.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, is it going to be a third this season?
1: Um yeah. Supposed to be. They never said where it's going to be yet, but yeah, they're supposed to be, supposed to be treated with a third sprint race and another variation on the great lorry that you seem so enamored with. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> this time it's going to be going backwards and they have to run up to it. And, or maybe it'll be like a relay race. They'll get more of the Olympic sprinters and uh, put on something.
1: Maybe they should just make the sprint race a wet sprint race for five laps. That Ooh. seems to be a, a winning formula.
0: Ooh, or how about this? It's a potato sack race and you and your teammates have to share the potato sack. Huh? I, there's that. Now, that's where I'd want to see Mick and Nik- uh, and Mazepin. That I want to see how that one goes down. Who's no, going to crash who
1: there? No, three-legged race for Mick and, for Mick and Nikita.
0: <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, There was a race to talk about, that was the Russian Grand Prix, and in terms of racing weekends, boy oh boy did it deliver. Qualifying was fascinating, the race just had one twist after another, it was just a great, great weekend. And really, even Friday practice. Friday practice was taking us one direction, qualifying took us a a completely different direction, and then the race took yet a third direction. It was a great weekend.
1: Yeah, it's not always delivered so cheap, but this weekend it certainly did. Uh, It looked like it was going to be a fairly standard uh, run-of-the-mill event, though, with Mercedes pretty much dominating uh, through into Q2. And obviously Max, with the penalty, not really running too much in qualifying and and, uh, resigned to his 20th position on the grid. Uh, it looked like it was going to be a Mercedes lockout, and then you know a fight over the minor places. But that's not how it worked out. As the uh, as the track continued to dry and people started switching to slicks in Q3, it all got really interesting. And especially once Hamilton had been after being inspired by Romain Grosjean, decided to uh, to crash entering the pit lane in Q3 and damaging his front wing, uh, it got really really interesting. And we didn't have a Mercedes or a Red Bull on pole position we had none other than lando norris in a mclaren
0: well we it felt it felt very nostalgic actually because it was mclaren and ferrari and williams and,
1: and williams and Williams
0: in a third exactly <laughs> so it was just it was just a nod to the quote-unquote good old days yeah and uh, it was just really something to see and it was also this was just a bit of foreshadowing of like hey here's here's for the one's future. Take a take a cl- quick look. This is what we're going to be seeing in the next few years.
1: So the great factoid on that one was that apparently the last time we had a McLaren-Ferrari-Williams lineup at the front of the grid was 2003, the European Grand Prix at the Nürburgring, which was none other than Kimi Räikkönen and Mick and Ralph Schumacher.
0: <laughs> Mike, Michael and Ralph Schumacher, not Mick, sir.
1: Well, you know, Mick to his friends.
0: (laughs) So yeah, so that there you go. Uh, That's uh, you know, and that would be two Germans and a Finn. And this time we had two Brits and a Spaniard. So yeah, okay. So that doesn't line up. Oh well, all right. I was, I was, I was, I was stretching anyway. Friday practice. You know, Botas looked to be in control. And just as you said, it looked like Mercedes had a a good handle on the track. But then Saturday, would you say it was weather or would you say it was anything other than weather in addition?
1: No, it was weather. I mean, essentially what happened in Q3 was that the Mercedes never got onto the slicks at the right time. They only had one lap each and they never got temperature in those slicks because both of them had slow pit stops Um, So And
0: Botas' was because of Hamilton's.
1: That's that's right, yeah. So Hamilton's accident really disrupted their Q3 efforts. And so I don't think they really set a representative time uh, in Q3 on the slicks when the track was at its best. And, you know, fair play, other drivers did, right? I mean, Norris absolutely nailed his lap. Carlos did a great job. And, And obviously Russell once again shining in the wet in the Williams and those guys absolutely deserved those three grid spots because, um, uh, yeah, Hamilton was down in fourth. Both us only only qualified seventh. And then we had Daniel Ricciardo and Alonso in between those two. So, no, it was, uh, you know, it was one of those opportunistic moments, wasn't it, where you just time it perfectly on the right tyres when the track is at its driest. I mean, Carlos was saying that his lap was a bit early, so he never got the track in its best condition. Uh, and obviously Norris did. But, uh, yeah, wonderful to see... Uh, Someone else at the top, I mean, Lando's first pole, first McLaren pole since 2012 in Brazil uh, when it was Hamilton driving. Um, and, you know, it just shows uh, McLaren are really, really starting to come good uh, after the win in Monza for Daniel Ricciardo, um, you know, to, to follow it up with a pole position. Um, it's a good effort. And they were in the mix, even, you know, even without the weather, as we'll talk about in the race. I mean, McLaren were quick. Genuinely quick in Sochi. I mean, clearly the Mercedes was the fastest car, but they certainly were in the mix. And um, I mean, Daniel, you know, had a solid, solid weekend supporting Lando all we, you know, throughout qualifying in the race.
0: Well, and uh, he he finished the race fourth. I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead. He finished the race fourth. Qualified, uh, qualified
1: fifth, fifth, I believe. Yeah. yeah.
0: So yeah, he was he was he was behind Lando, but he wasn't miles behind, certainly. So you could see, it seems like Ricardo is indeed really getting his head around this McLaren.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so other standouts uh, in qualify. I mean, Stroll did a good job again in the wet uh, with the seventh place. Uh, I guess standout for all the wrong reasons was Sergio down in eighth, who, you know, given Verstappen's penalty, you know, Red Bull were hoping he could probably get at the sharp end and he didn't manage to do so. Um, And then amusingly, with all the penalties that were going on, we had uh, none other than Mick Schumacher starting in 14th. So, you know, we had some really, uh, really a mixed up order for the race.
0: Well, and Uh, uh, Fernando Alonso in sixth, great run for him as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, no. Well, just as you said, there were, uh, so Verstappen had an engine swap and he had the grid penalty. So he was, he was in the back twice over. But just as you said, uh, several people ended up taking um, new engine, new power units uh, to some regard and being in the back of the grid. And uh, so that certainly mixed things up after qualifying. So, yeah, the starting grid was uh, fascinating. And, you know, I left Saturday saying to myself, man, Lewis is really, really struggling with the pressure here to make those are the kind of mistakes that Lewis just didn't make. You know, and to see him hit the wing, to see him hurt his wing in qualifying just to me showed just how much immense pressure he was under. And I was curious what you thought about Hamilton's uh, mental state after Saturday.
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, obviously it's not ideal. And I agree his his season this year is certainly not as clean as it has been in the past. And he is he's definitely making more mistakes than we're used to seeing. But I don't know if that's down to pressure. I mean, he, he you know, clearly was in a good place with the car um, and really just needed to, to come in and change tyres and set a lap, right, and, and go through the normal motions. I don't think he was feeling any undue pressure at that moment. Um, I think the pressure really... Where I really felt bad for Hamilton was in the race. And, and I think let's come on to that in a second. But no, I, I mean, that's just one of those things that happens. I mean, it just tried to take a little bit too much speed into the corner. Better to do it in quality than than the race, I guess. But uh, um, yeah, it's not ideal for him. Um, you know, the whole the whole feeling going into the weekend was that having not capitalized with the car advantage in Monza and with Verstappen's penalty uh, in Russia, it was essential that he wins, right, this weekend. And and. Uh, to get back in the championship lead, um, so maybe maybe that was weighing on him. But he's been in that situation before, where he had not only had to win one race, but multiple races to keep his championship alive. So I don't think it's I don't think it's pressure telling. I think it's just you know tricky conditions uh, caught him out, and it still happens even when you've won a lot of races.
0: Okay, yeah, and that's fair. And, you know, it's some, it's easy to get in that mode, and you start overthinking these things. Um, the race, you know, it was uh, it was really something because Hamilton again poor start. So he, well,
1: I don't I don't know about that. I mean, he, well,
0: it was not a poor launch from his grid position, but it was a bad opening lap.
1: Yeah, so he, you're right. He didn't get off the line particularly well. I mean, we know at Sochi it's possible to slipstream down into into the first corner and make up places even if even if you're not starting on pole position. Um in the past we've had, you know, two drivers from the same team try and prevent slipstreaming and to hold position, but obviously with the jumbled up order that wasn't going to be possible. He didn't get away particularly well, but then he got he did get some good drive and was going down the inside and looked like he could he could leave uh, turn one in second or third place. But what happened was Norris moved to the right to, to block off uh, Carlos, which ultimately, you know, was a move that failed because Carlos took the lead. Um, and that really limited Hamilton's options. And he got on the brakes. I think he was, he definitely was conservative, um, got on the brakes quite early and got swamped. And then there was a, I mean, I thought it was a great battle the first lap because he was battling with both Alonso and Ricardo through lap one and ultimately came out the loser and was in seventh place at the end of lap one, which, you know, ultimately was not what he wanted, uh, at all. And, and then we had the situation where with Russell holding on to third, we had this, this massive train of cars, basically, you know, their pace was dictated by Russell. So we had Russell, Stroll, Alonso, Ricardo and Hamilton, they were all in the DRS train. So Hamilton, just especially with the slippery McLaren of, of Danny's, uh, just wasn't able to find a way past. And it, and it looked really like a problem for him all the way through the first phase of the race.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that was a remarkable thing that here you had Lando and Signs racing off into the distance uh, ahead of the first pit stop and then Russell several seconds behind. And then this train... You know, so you had whatever seven or eight seconds between signs and Russell, and then another seven or eight seconds between Russell and like the remaining top eight. It was it was it was really something to see. That's not common in Formula One, certainly. Usually, you get uh, more more of a gap built up over those whatever fifteen laps, twenty laps.
1: Yeah, and what was extraordinary was you know for Stappen and to a lesser degree Charles Leclerc had come through the back of the field really well. And we had a situation where Verstappen was only a couple of seconds behind Lewis, you know, in two and th- two or three places behind him, uh, going into the first round of pit stops. And, and it looked like Hamilton's weekend was really, you know, it had fallen completely apart. Um, and he looked in real danger, not only from those behind him, because Perez was pressuring him, but also the early stoppers, people like uh, Lance Stroll, who was, you know, trying to go for the undercut. Uh, so at one point, you know, it just looked really grim for Hamilton. You know, having thought he was going to have to go and win it, you know, the question was would he would he even score decent points? Quite frankly, um, and uh, would he even score more points than Verstappen? Uh, and then it all it all changed, didn't it? I mean, with through the pit stops, um, once those ahead of him cleared out, the pace of Hamilton and Mercedes really told
0: unused tires. Uh, that yeah. was that was the extraordinary part to me. I was like, I was nervous that. In his attempts to get around people early, he'd worn out his tires. But even with worn tires, he was still able to get some real laps in there and start uh, and start gaining some positions on track due to those pit stops.
1: Yeah, he started pulling away from Perez, who was on the hard compound tires, um, and he was on you know worn mediums. And as you said, it you know obviously damaged by some of the racing that he'd done, but. You know, other people were struggling too. I mean, Max, after his brilliant start, was starting to struggle with his tyre life, uh, taking a lot out of them, getting around people. And he'd had a few pretty interesting scrapes himself. Hadn't he? I mean, there was a couple of times where I thought he was going to lose a wing or be shoved into the wall. Um only to find uh, you know, he was able to survive and, and you know keep making his way up the order. So it looked really finely poised. And then we had a situation where once we'd, we'd gone through the first round of stops, we had Norris leading by, what, seven, eight seconds from Hamilton. And now it became a question of could, could Lewis chase him down and, and get the win? Um, meanwhile, poor old Max seemed to be going a little bit backwards. He'd got to seventh place. Uh, briefly up to six until Alonso passed him and didn't seem to be making progress. So this, the pendulum swung back towards Hamilton here in the championship. Um, but then, of course, the rain came.
0: Well, yeah, but even before the rain came, it was, it was remarkable to see how everything swung back and forth. Poor Russell, you know, he did end up getting a point, but he couldn't, he couldn't stay in the top five, which is, you can't expect too much. I mean, he, the Williams pace isn't, a top five car yet so uh, I'm not knocking on Russell but it was just the same same fall back and um, the different pitch strategies playing out it, would, it seemed at first that the general understanding was that this was going to be a one stop race but then it seemed more and more likely that people were going to uh, this is independent of rain people were maybe thinking about two stop race and seeing those different strategies play out was proving interesting in Hamilton and Verstappen how they how they mixed into all of this was uh, kind of a fascinating uh, chess match of sorts to see uh, as the laps unfolded and uh, I was I was impressed at McLaren's pace throughout all this and the fact that Norris could end up in the lead and hold on to it in in quite impressive form really I I, I was uh, undoubtedly i just you have to be impressed by that
1: yeah i mean it looked like norris was going to be able to hold on uh, in if the race had stayed dry i mean he you know lewis certainly ate up the first five or six seconds fairly quickly um and then you know once he got within one and a half seconds it got a bit more tricky he got into the drs zone a, a couple of times but lando was able to respond uh, once Lewis got close and actually set the fastest lap of the race, I think on lap 49. Um, And so... Lewis was definitely had his hands full and it didn't look like it was going to be an easy pass or a pass at all. Um and Lando said he he thought he had it under control. He'd done some some fuel saving laps. Um and got, you know, got the fuel on the right in the right place and was and, and was obviously he knew where he needed to be quick to to keep out of trouble on the straights and um thought he was in control. And then we had the most bizarre situation with the rain coming in but only really at three corners like 4, 5 and 6 so you had predominantly most of the track dry and then initially you know dampness in those in those three turns and so it did look like the right strategy initially was to stay on slicks and i actually felt that norris and hamilton staying out despite the calls from their teams was the right was the right decision because obviously if we'd had no more rain um, then you were going you're going to burn through a set of inters really really quickly in those conditions um, but then, of course, more rain did come and it really deluged the track, especially around one half of the, the circuit. But I think it got pretty wet the, the, the whole way round, and just became impossible on slicks. And that's where Norris and Charles Leclerc got caught out. I mean, they were the last drivers to pit onto inters. They, they hung out until lap 51, um, whereas some people have been changing as early as lap 47. Uh, so I was wrong on the fastest lap. Norris must have said it earlier than that. But some... Uh, Some drivers, notably Valtteri Bottas, came in on 47 for Inters, uh, really when only only a few corners were were wet at that time. Uh, Verstappen on 48, Hamilton on 49, and Norris on 51. So that was, uh, you know, it was heartbreaking to see Norris struggling out there and trying to keep his lead and then obviously tumble down the order after the late stop. What did you think of the, uh, the whole McLaren strategy on the pit stops there with Lando and the exchange they had?
0: Yeah, that was exactly it. I was really fascinated by the McLaren strategy and Lando Norris' response. He seemed to be really pushing back against the idea of coming in for pits um, very aggressively, saying, no, 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 let me stay out. It's going to be okay. And he seemed to really dig his heels in. It was lap 49 because initially, as you stated earlier, both Hamilton and... Norris were resisting the calls to come in for enters and Hamilton was convinced by his team and McLaren said again okay come on and what Lando saw was his whatever one and a half, one and a half second gap between him and second place just became a 31 second gap or a 40 second gap between him and second place he's like I'm just going to cruise this bad boy home this is great and then, the, but then the question was, okay, can Hamilton make up, you know, six, six laps, uh, six or seven seconds a lap and get this? And then, as you said, the rain indeed got heavier and it became all too clear uh, that this was going against Norris. But what I really saw was just the difference in maturity and experience coming through. This was, I think, an extremely important lesson for Lando to learn like in his own mind to internalize when do I listen to the team and when do I really stand up for my own beliefs who knows what and why and um, I think it's, this, it's, this is a moment this is a race that is a teaching moment that's going to help Lando Norris become a champion in the future that's that's my opinion that was my takeaway from it
1: Yeah, it seems the key difference was mercedes Realised that more rain was coming and effectively communicated that to Hamilton, which inspired him to, to make the stop, whereas that wasn't so clearly communicated to Norris. And so I think he thought that the conditions were going to remain as they were in the, in the earlier laps when the, when the rain came down with just drizzle, drizzle and, um, you know, a few corners affected, in which case, you know, he would have been right to resist the call but what Mercedes and some of the other teams realized was that, you know, there was going to be a second wave and um, it was going to be too much for, for slicks. So I think that's, as uh, Andreas Seidel said, I mean that it was a team team defeat. I don't think, I think some people are putting this on Norris, but I think ultimately they need to look at their processes and how they manage those calls and in that type of situation a little bit more closely. It's a shame. I mean, Ricardo pitted on 48. So clearly he, he could uh, he either obey the first call or, or could see the rain coming. Um, I mean, it's, it's, you've got more to lose, haven't you, when you're leading, especially when you're, you're fighting against um, a pretty experienced opponent because Hamilton could always just do the opposite of what Norris was doing to some degree. And so as soon as Hamilton pitted, Norris was going to probably lose the lead even if he pitted on the next lap, but he would have preserved second place, you would think. Um, But the funny thing is, I mean, the speed differential uh, when Hamilton actually caught and passed Norris was so, so stark. I mean, I can't remember which turn it was, but you can see Norris just had no grip, just went straight on. Was lucky to avoid the tires, and, and Lewis was able to go through the same corner, you know, at, at reasonable racing speed. I mean, it was just such a contrast in the effectiveness of the inters in those conditions. Yeah. Um, it's a wonder that both Charles and Norris were able to finish the race, really, and that they didn't bin it. So credit credit to them for doing that because it must have been a, a real challenge. But yeah, yeah gutting for Lando really because he drove he drove a brilliant race, and and that's a cruel way to to lose it. I think. I mean, ironically, what gave him what, you know, the rain favored him on Saturday, giving him the chance to get pole and then took it away on Sunday, Yeah, uh, and took the race win away from him.
0: Well, that's proof. Nature is not for or against you. It just is. And <laughs> but uh, the, at one point, it, this is the only pushback I have to what you just said. At one point, I, I'm certain, all but certain that Lando told his engineer to shut up. He said, shut up. Just let me race like basically stop bothering he seemed to be getting belligerent about uh what he can and can't do in the race car and what like that's that's where the word maturity comes in for me he really seemed to be pushing back against his team aggressively on any calls they made
1: i think the information that was being provided to him wasn't very useful which is i think why he gave that slightly irascible response i mean i think that the engineer was saying something like you know a couple of turns are a bit slippery you know it wasn't information he could really use you know what i mean it wasn't definitive it wasn't it wasn't really very helpful and so it, it, it therefore becomes a bit redundant and therefore a distraction. Um, So, I I, I mean, I could uh, understand that type of response. I think, you know, the engineers need to get on the radio when they've got crystal clear information and direct instructions for the driver to utilize. Otherwise, they're better off piping down, I think.
0: Yeah, that's a fair point. I I agree with that. And uh, giving clearer, more definitive, more objective information would... Obviously, it, we're talking about this with hindsight, but obviously that would have been helpful. But, uh, okay, so Lewis Hamilton goes on to win. It's his 100th Grand Prix victory. That's an incredible, incredible milestone.
1: That's oh, extraordinary. Extraordinary. I mean, just for context, when I started following the sport in the late 80s, you know, 30 Grand Prix wins so were considered a lot. That was
0: the 1880s? I, thought, <laughs> I didn't think Formula 1 was a thing yet, so I, I'm, I'll have to look into that.
1: But you had, you know, people like Mansell and Senna and Prost in their 30s, and, and then Prost obviously ended up in the, in the 41, I believe. That seemed like a lot of wins back in the day. And then, of course, Mick Michael, let's use his full term so we don't get confused, Michael then reset the bar to 91 that just looked insurmountable for anybody else, really. And now well, for Lewis... Well, was a really- second at the
0: time. Prost was, what, 48, is it? It, it, it seemed...
1: Think- I think he's got 41 wins but uh, let me double check while we talk about it but yeah it's it's an extraordinary I mean Schumacher just put it at what seemed to be out of reach of everyone but yeah I mean it's 100 wins just just astonishing and of course you know the number of grand prix in a year and the reliability of cars um has has transformed the sport really and made some of these these stats incomparable but um but it is um you know, still to beat Schumacher's record Fifty-one. There we go. I knew there was a one in there. He got fifty-one okay. wins.
0: Fifty-one. Okay.
1: So, you know, still Schumacher with forty more. It just completely changed what we thought could be possible. But Absolutely even so, right. yeah. Even so, a hundred wins, extraordinary. I mean, if you look down the grid today, and and you know, how many is Max up to these days? He's got to be in the in the low teens, isn't he? Yeah. But that that's just just to think that he's got to have such a period of domination in one team for so many seasons to get anywhere near that number. Um, it's well, not about...
0: Vettel is second, and he's in the low 50s for wins. Right. So, yeah, and- I mean, so he's, he's near double what the second place of all time, the current lineup, has done. And... It's- incredible. And,
1: and Vettel and Hamilton were close at one point. It, you know, it was a whole question about who was going to be first uh, to five championships. Remember those days? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so Max is on 17 wins. So, you know, another five, five versions of his current career, and he's still going to be behind by 15 Grand Prix wins. So yeah, extraordinary, extraordinary achievement. Um, well, he's certainly finding it, it harder.
0: Even in terms of win ratio, you know Hamilton hasn't cracked three hundred grand Prix yet, I don't believe, so he's at he's at better than a third of the races he's entered He's won
1: yeah, I mean this is proving to be a tough year. he's only won five grand Prix this season, you know usually he's in double figures right when when Mercedes were dominating uh he would typically pick up ten eleven twelve twelve race wins, but that's not happening this year um Max is, uh, is probably going to end up with the, the most wins this season. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. It is, it is extraordinary. And with, you know, at least another couple of seasons in the sport, who knows where he's going to leave the bar. Uh, it's certainly going to be a tough challenge for anyone following in his wake.
0: And yet, this was not ultimately a satisfying day for Lewis Hamilton or Mercedes in championship perspective because... The guy that started in 20th, the guy that he was supposed to eat alive this Grand Prix before things get really tough again, finished right behind him in second. So it was a seven-point delta instead of a 25-point delta today.
1: Yeah, it's extraordinary to come second, having taken the penalty. Uh, As we mentioned earlier, he was struggling in seventh until the rain came down, but capitalized on, on the opportunity and did it better than anyone else other than, you could argue, Hamilton. So... Um, I mean, it's like a win for Red Bull. Uh, they must be absolutely overjoyed. And, and with only a two-point lead in the, in the championship now, uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting fight all the way to the end, especially as some people are speculating that Hamilton will probably have to take a power unit penalty at some point in the remaining races. So you would have to say that it looks like advantage Verstappen after two tricky weekends at Monza and Russia, they've, they've come out of it looking pretty good. Um, they've, got, they've expanded their engine pool. And there's certain Grand Prix coming up where you have to think that Verstappen's going to win easily. I mean, I'm thinking Mexico. I mean, Red Bull have won easily there in prior seasons <laughs> um, yeah. so uh, without having a, a particularly competitive car. So I would think that's going to be a canter for him. Um, so yeah it's it looks it looks like it's finally poised. I mean Mercedes have a decent championship lead in the constructors. Yeah 33 I was just gonna that. thirty yeah. three, exactly. Yeah. But but drivers wise it is on a knife edge, isn't it? Uh,
0: absolutely. Two points between them with what is it, seven Grand Prix to go? Yeah. And uh you know, I don't you know, Mexico is a good example. Uh Turkey, I don't know. I I mean Mercedes has been strong there in the past has it not but uh that I don't I don't have any memories of relative Red Bull performance to gauge that against
1: yeah I think it's harder to call Turkey and and then Austin has been a good track for for Lewis in the past and so I I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say that the the tracks definitely favor one team or another with maybe the exception of of Mexico um And and I think it still comes down to the the temperatures on the weekend, obviously, you know, whether or not we have rain, the setups and so on and so forth. So I think there's still, you know, we shouldn't write off anyone's chances at this point. But certainly, you know, Max and Red Bull look really, really strong at this point of the championship. So uh, it's all to play for. Um, I do think, uh, you know, the number two drivers need to up their game. I mean, Bottas got a lucky fifth place, but he really made very little progress from his starting position on the grid, which was 16th. Um, and Perez finished ninth. So he had a horrible time in the rain um, and tumbled down the order. I was lucky to get a couple of points. So well, those guys- And Perez
0: was leading that Grand Prix earlier with pit stop cycles. He was going long on hard, hard tires, and he seemed to be holding a reasonable pace but yeah when the he did not fare well in the rain and he's just had he's had a rough and tumble grand prix just as he's had a rough and tumble season so uh, if he can just mellow himself down a little bit I think that would be for the
1: good for him yeah he didn't pit until lap 50 so that was a lap after Hamilton so he was one of the later pit stop uh, uh, pit stops for Inters so it's why he, he he suffered so badly, but uh, but yeah, Ricardo obviously. So let's go down the order. So Carlos, uh, you know, did a good, solid job. I mean, he, he was competitive throughout the race. Ended up on the podium. Really strong, strong race for him and Ferrari. Honestly, because um, Charles, as I said earlier, was was fairly feisty and was was hanging with uh, Verstappen earlier in the Grand Prix. So so strong, strong old race from Carlos, uh, deserving podium. I and mean, he now actually overtakes. Uh, well, he's consolidated his lead on Charles Leclerc. He's got an eight and a half point lead in their little inter-team bat- battle. So uh, so that's an interesting one, seeing as everyone thought Charles was, uh, was the coming man. Um, and then Danny managed to get fourth. Um, again, you know, good, good solid weekend, as you said earlier, um, showing that maybe he's turned a corner with the McLaren and doing a good job backing up uh, Norris. Uh, and Alonso got sixth place um, after a strong, strong weekend. And, and right, was... so
0: he was the one that nothing happened for him. He just started in sixth, went around in a parade and finished sixth. <laughs> so that was that was Alonso's race. It was very boring. Uh, but yeah, and then Kimi Räikkönen in the points in eighth. Uh, Lando Norris did end up finishing seventh. And, and Kimi Räikkönen in, in the points in eighth, his highest finish of the season. He did not care. And then George Russell, we talked about Sergio, George Russell, did collect that single point for a 10th place finish, which was ahead of Latifi. But, uh, you know, for not yeah, and then finishing. But hey.
1: We then had Stroll and Vettel in 11th and the 12th. They had quite an interesting race, didn't they? Uh, I mean, Stroll was was going pretty well early on um, in the first stint. Uh, didn't seem to, their pit stop strategy didn't seem to favor him. But I love the fact that the two of them managed to hit each other sort of halfway through the Grand Prix. <laughs>
0: Did yes, you? yes, I did see that.
1: Stroll seemingly not aware that Vettel was on the outside of him and just kept uh, running to the left until they actually hit each other. But though damage was done. They both managed to continue. Um, they they were able to finish ahead of Gasly and uh, Ocon. Um, so those two seemed to struggle a little bit, particularly in the rain. Um, so yeah, it was um, it was a cracking race. It was really hard to tell who was going to win and and what the finishing order was going to look like, especially with the last-minute last, uh, last minute dampness. Um, so very enjoyable. Much better than all previous Russian Grand Prix combined, I would suggest.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, it's amazing what a little rain can do, especially when they do not expect it, when the Formula One teams do not expect it. So I think there's, a, there's something that we should all do to celebrate such a wonderful Grand Prix, and that's watch my latest YouTube video. It's on the Volkswagen Taos. That's right. It is the newest, smallest SUV from Volkswagen. It is less than 176 inches long. It is powered by a 1.5-liter turbocharged engine, and it is a lovely little ute. Chris, do you have any questions for me about it?
1: Um, does it actually come with uh, all-wheel drive?
0: It, you, it does not come with. It is available in either front or all-wheel drive, but all-wheel drive is available across all the trims. There are three trims. And uh, it's what's fascinating is it's not just between front or all-wheel drive. Doing so gives you uh, different transmission, different wheelbase, different rear suspension, and and also different um, trim, like different technology offered in the trims. So these are two very different cars, whether you get the front or all-wheel drive version.
1: And um, is it a three-cylinder, four-cylinder, one and a half liter, four-cylinder oh turbocharged correct, correct. excellent yeah. so not quite following ford's lead with three pots but uh but still fairly small capacity for uh, for an suv so um yeah larger what you-
0: larger than the uh volkswagen golf which the last model year uh for the u.s for the volkswagen golf is 2021 and this is the 2022 model uh, that was a 1.4-liter turbocharged engine. So this Taos is effectively replacing the Volkswagen Golf here in the United States. Now, you can still get a GTI and a Golf R, but um, regular Golfs are no more.
1: So who are they really targeting with this this product?
0: Americans. Uh, they want, they want <laughs> Americans
1: to buy it. I'm sorry. In terms of automotive competition, who, do, who, do they, <laughs> who are they going after Is this uh, this, is this I, a Tucson? Tucson competitor, for example, a Hyundai Tucson?
0: No, I think they would consider the Tiguan in uh, in the uh, Tucson or uh, Ford Escape, CRV. So this is a little bit more of you know the HRV e- or the EcoSport. EcoSport, e- okay. Yeah, um, and gets to say we're bigger than those cars by a few inches here and there, those types of things. And it is bigger. So it's a bigger version of the smallest kind of ute. But I will say that uh, this car, as SUVs go, it's definitely, it's still a zippy little thing, and it's pretty fun to drive. And uh, what it is is the canvas for just yet another amazing, tremendous, outstanding video that I've put together. I said last week that... uh, The video I put together on the tundra is the best video ever made. That is no longer true because it's now this video is the best, most entertaining, most amazing, awesome video that you'll just want to watch over and over and over. Go check it out.
1: I have heard that there is a global superlative crisis that we're running out of them, Robin. So you have to have to use them more sparingly.
0: (laughs) I will not, not ever ration my superlatives. Thank you very much. Very good. <laughs> All right. i You couldn't keep your moment of silence quite as long. I'll take that as a victory. <laughs> for now, I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcasts. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com, the recently revamped funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached that feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars and check out our facebook page at facebook.com slash fw cars chris always great to talk to you thank you so much
1: thank you robin
0: i'm robin Warder. goodbye